Is this on? Hey, I had it right this time. Thank you. Thank you. Now if we can make the PowerPoint work, not we, if I, can make the PowerPoint work, right? We'll see. Oh man, it's a it's a very cold day. I would I would say that it's a it's a great day to be alive, and it is. But it's a very cold day to be alive. Um, you ever have like those nights where you have like just real, super realistic dreams? Like like it was reality, and then something happens in the dream, and then you realize it's not reality, and you're really bummed about it. Like I had that happen last night. Um, it was so real. It just all this stuff was going on, and it was like I was like the superhero type thing. And then when I realized it was a dream, I was running, and I didn't get tired. And I was like, "That's a dream." <laughs> so yeah, it's a, a shot at being a little bit out of shape. Um, but um, you know, we uh, we've been talking so much about change lately, and uh, in my classrooms and downstairs on Wednesday nights with the teens and on Friday nights and kind of moving into 2018, this is kind of my mindset is this understanding of change and what it looks like and how to accomplish it. And um, I want to look at some verses in the book of James this morning and we're going to talk about overcoming the man in the mirror. And I know it might sound a little cliched, uh, but this is my thought heading into 2018. And maybe for some of you this morning, maybe something resonates with you today, and you'll think, oh man, you know what, that makes sense, and we can kind of get on this change train together. So if you have your Bibles this morning, or if you have the Pew Bible, um, I'm going to ask you to take it out and turn with me to the book of James in chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 22 through 25. If you are using the Black Pew Bible, the, the chair Bible, um, it's page 1208. 1208 in the black Bibles in the pouch of the chair. The pouch Bible, what sounds better? Pouch Bible, chair Bible? Chair Bible. Chair Bible. The Bible in front of you. Yeah, if you don't have one, there's one in the chair in the pouch in front of you. The chair pouch Bible. So, all right, James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, and this is what it says. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. All right. Got it. So, simply put, our slides today, we're going to have hear, see, and do. Those are going to be the three things we're going to talk about this morning. Hear, see, and do. And James gives us some awesome instruction here. And and he's writing to this body of believers, and he addresses his book to the 12 tribes. It's a really cool thought that he's just sending it out there and saying, hey, look, here's some things to to kind of think about and to focus on as uh, you go through everyday routines, as you go through your church routines. And the whole book has got a, a number of things that talk about how we treat people in the church, how we treat ourselves, how we take care of other people, and this whole idea of practicing true religion. 
And in order to practice an effectual true religion, which is like the religious duty and the acts that we do, there's some housekeeping sometimes that we have to do. And this is what James warns us about. He talks about this whole idea of hearing and not doing. And today, this is what I want to talk about. So three steps that James gives us to overcoming this this man in the mirror, this person who looks at the mirror, studies it, and then walks away forgetting what he looks like. Forgetting like how filthy he is, or if his hair's out of place, or he's got food in his beard. Like that happens to me sometimes. And I look in the mirror and I see it, and what do you do? Your instinct is to fix it, right? My hair's out of place, kind of comb this a little bit, look presentable, food in my teeth. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, when we look at that spiritual mirror, and we look in the mirror, we see what's looking back at us, we go, you know what, that's really okay for today. So here's what I want to talk about. This idea of hear, see, and do, Okay. So we have this mindset of hearing. Hearing simply happens. It's just a natural part of life. What James is telling us to do, he wants us to take that step a little bit further, and he wants us to focus on this here, listening. Listening takes a conscious effort. It requires concentration. It gives us the opportunity to kind of take in and begin to process what exactly it is that we're hearing so we can figure out how to apply it. This is kind of what we talk about when we say we're leaning in. We're hearing, we're listening, we're letting it take hold. I, uh, growing up, my, uh, my mom, uh, I love her to death, but she is, uh, I don't know if it's certifiable or whatever the word is, but she, she's hard of hearing. Um, she lost her hearing when I was probably a teenager. She's had operations to kind of fix it. And I know that I, I'm, I'm going kind of in the same direction that she is, so it's a genetic thing. And I often find myself trying to listen a little bit more intently when my kids are talking to me or trying to really try to listen more when my wife talks to me because I know that I'm losing my hearing. It's little things, like things that get lost, like the low tones, the high-pitched tones. I can hear pretty well, but the low tones. So if there's a lot of stuff going around, the TV's on. Last night, my kids were putting on this rock concert. They're pounding on this drum set. We got them. Avery's pounding on this guitar. And my wife's trying to talk to me, and I'm just sitting on the couch, and I'm like, I had no idea what she said. And I had to stop. I said, girls, I'm really sorry. I need you to I can't, I can't hear mommy. And Avery goes, well, she's right there. I'm like, I love you. But I know that I have to listen. I have to stop. And we can all understand what this looks like in our lives because at like one o'clock in the morning, you hear something and it startles you awake. And what do you do? You hear it and then you stop and you listen. Is it the cat? Is it the dog? Do I need to get my gun? Right? I mean, we, we can take hearing and ascribe to listening. Both of these are required. We have to hear to get to listening. And here's what we have in, in the book of 1 Samuel. I'm going to put this point of emphasis on the board because here's what happens to Samuel when he's a kid. And this is important for us. So in, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, there's a story about Samuel. And he's with Eli, and he's asleep, and he wakes up, and he comes running in. And he says, Eli, I heard you. You called for me. He's like, I go back to bed, man. Like... Please go back to bed. And it happens again. And it happens again. And finally it happens, and this is what Samuel says. The Lord came and stood and called as other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. Your servant is listening. Are we really listening? Are, are we listening to what the Word of God is telling us? Are we listening to what our pastors are telling us, to what our builders, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, 
Are we listening to those things? Are we listening to the Spirit? There's so much noise in this world. From society to movies to music to, hey, did you hear this? Did you know that? I walk through the halls and I hear middle school kids. We're talking about sixth through eighth grade. And some of the things that they say, I'm just like, wow. There's no spiritual compass. And this is in our building. And then we have kids that come to youth group and we have to have these discussions. Hey, this isn't okay. Hey, my mom doesn't care. My dad doesn't care. This doesn't care. This is the noise that infiltrates our lives. It's a number of things that we need to listen to. And this is what James points out. James points out God's Word. He says you have to listen. You have to look into this law of liberty. And we could talk about that later. That's not really the point of what we're looking at today. But we're understanding the Word of God. This right here is how God has revealed Himself to us. This is how He communicates to us. This is how we find the, 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 the appropriate steps to living righteously to being holy, to being just, to to finding out what it means to be set apart and being set apart with a purpose and how that looks in your life. It's not just taking something and setting it off to the side. Being set apart with a purpose means there's something that you have to do. And I usually take some coffee mugs when I talk about this with the kids and I let my coffee sit in it for a couple of days and it gets nasty and it gets gross and it, it gets like chunky and it's all disgusting. But I make sure that the outside of the cup is really nice looking. It's clean. It looks good. And then we take it out and I say, look, I have two cups here and they both, they both fit the same purpose. They both do the same thing. And I set them down and I say, let's have a a drink. We'll put some water in it. Who's thirsty? And I always have one. I'll drink it. Yeah, cool. Come on up. They come up. They look at it. And what I do is, as I take the cup that's set apart for a purpose and I dump it in the garbage before they get up to it and they see like the coffee and the chunky, like, cream covering that's been sitting there for a week. I know, it's gross, right? You're like, oh, man, stop. Sometimes there's, like, bugs in it. It's nasty. I say, well, which do you want to drink out of? Well, I want to drink out of the clean one. Well, no, but this is the one that I set apart for a purpose. Well, I don't want to drink out of that. Why? Because it's dirty. It's filthy. It's disgusting. It is not a doer. It's not a hearer. It's not listening. It's not measuring itself. It's not looking up, and it's saying, how can I possibly fulfill my purpose as a Christian, as a follower of God, as a disciple, if I can't hear, if I can't listen, if I can't do some self-inspection, and I can't do. The three always come together. You hear, you see, you do. That's how we learn. We expect it from our kids. Hey, listen, I'm going to give you instruction. I'm going to show you how to do it, and then I'm going to watch you do it. This is no different. Our spiritual life is no different. Parents, it's no different when you're training up your kids. You teach them, you show them, they do. Now the problem is, sometimes we just stop at the hearing stage. We don't see, we don't do. And this is a problem. Excuse me. So here, we have to listen. See. This is a fun one. We take the time to hear and listen. There are going to be things that are revealed to us to change. It's going to happen. I see it again when I teach, when I sit in and watch some of the other teachers teach. They think they're doing their math correctly. They listen to the lecture and they're like, oh, I'm doing this wrong. They have a decision to make. They see the teacher. She puts all the steps on the board. 
They can do the steps on the board or they can continue doing what they're doing and doing it wrong. The Bible's no different than a textbook. And some of you might be like, ooh, uh, I don't know about that. It's the Word of God. Yeah, I know. I know. But I'm telling you, in the Bible, there are a number of passages that if we look at, and when we compare our life to it, these are blueprints, these are steps, this is the equation to righteous living. This is how we can figure out, hey, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? This is my mirror. And if I'm looking into this mirror, what is looking back at me? So here are some things that I picked out to show us. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. I kind of skipped a little bit ahead, but that's okay. I'm going to read it for you, and I'm going to put some different verses up on the board because um, I thought it was pretty cool when I was doing some study. So here's what Galatians chapter 5 says, and this is verse 19, and we're going to read through um, the next couple. Most of you know this. These are the fruits of the Spirit verse, right? It says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, everything, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And here's some, uh, I looked up in the message, because it's a paraphrase, and I use it with the kids, and I've read this, and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. I love the wording here. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. None of us deals with that. Frenzied and joyless. Grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, and impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, Ugly parodies of community. I could go on. That's actually what it says. I could go on. That was pretty funny. That was pretty cool. I could go on. Yeah, the list goes on. And as I read through some of these, I thought, wow, what a modern picture of today. And we can get lost in the carousings and the sensualities, but this sums it up so interestingly to say brutal tempers, divided homes, pursuing Empty trinket gods. These are measuring sticks. Because these are the things that we build into our lives. This one's one of my favorites right here. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. What are you addicted to? It doesn't have to necessarily be drugs and alcohol. These are, hey, you feel it. I'm addicted to pride. I'm addicted to self. I'm addicted to gossip. I'm addicted to just having a bad attitude. Hey, These are all here. I appreciate Ben and his openness this morning talking about this is a rough season for him. I understand the feeling it's a rough season for me. Now, I'm not on the floor train. It's too hot. It's too humid. That's cool for you. But I'm like on the San Diego train, that 75 and sunny, no humidity, right? Like, I love it. Like, I would, that would be perfect. 
So for me, it drives, it, I have a hard time. It gets dark at like three o'clock and I get depressed and I feel down and I, you know what? I think, woe is me. I just, you know what? As if for the last 37 years, this didn't happen. Never happened this bad, right. Never, it's never been this bad. I actually, I said that to my wife the other day. It's never been this bad. It's never gotten this dark so quickly. That's right. So I can understand. Listen, this is, this is really the core of who we are when we are not focused on the right things. And then this is what the rest of this is. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives. Much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. This is a paraphrase. This, I read this and I was like, man, it was like getting hit upside the head with a two by four. And this part here, holiness permeates things and people. It permeates from us and what we do and what we give and what we offer. This whole idea of God working into our lives. Why? Because when we look in, we listen, we can see what's occupying us what's taking us up what's consuming us are these the things that we're focused on these joyless grabs for happiness trinket gods magic show religion i love that one magic show religion why because i see magic show religion more today than ever and i i don't know what it is i don't know if it's i'm just getting older in the younger generation i have no idea but i see this There's an understanding of who God is, but there's no real belief. There's no real commitment. There's no real desire to to search and to seek and, and to be filled by the Spirit. It's just empty. James tells us, prove ourselves doers. In chapter 1, verse 24, it says, For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. That's our mirror. These verses are our mirror. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. These are measuring stick verses. These are mirrors. These are things we look into our lives. What am I thinking about? What am I focusing on? What is pure in my life? What am I doing? I'm going to just do one little exercise as we look into uh, a mirror, and then we're going to move on to the next point. I did this the other night with um, your with teens and youth group, and Ryan was there. I don't know if Caitlin was there or not, but we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's the love chapter. I'm going to ask everybody to turn there. We're going to read it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And some of us have these verses maybe memorized. But when we look at it, we're going to do something a little different with it today. Again, we're talking about 
mirror verses, things that we can look at and say, hey, am I hearing or am I doing? How is this working in my life? Am I filled with joy or am I filled with anger? Is it empty? This is what 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-8 through say. It says, Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done with it, and so on and so forth. See, this is the fun part I like to do, and I did this the other night, and it, it, I had to stop and I had to think a little bit, because we're going to turn this into a mirror, and here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to ask everybody to read it together out loud, but instead of saying the word love, I want you to use your first name. So it'll sound like this. Tim is patient. Join me. Tim is kind, and Tim is not jealous. Tim, lo- Tim does not brag. Tim is not arrogant. Tim does not act unbecomingly. Tim does not seek his own. Tim is not provoked. Tim does not take account of wrong suffered. Tim does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Tim rejoices with the truth. Tim bears all things. Tim believes all things. Tim hopes all things. Tim endures all things. Tim never fails. It's a little different if we try to put our name there. It's a little different because automatically I look at it and I go, am I really patient? I know I struggle with patience. My wife uh, and I went to the doctors this past week. We got the gender reveal for our new child. It is another girl. Yeah. Some of you are really stoked about that. I'm still coming to terms with it in my own way. <laughs> so my wife said, um, "Did you, you clearly have not learned what God is trying to teach you. And I said, maybe I need to do a better job of listening. And we kind of talked about it and we laughed about it. But, you know, when I read this verse and I actually stopped to think, man, there's a lot of things, even when I deal with my own kids, that I look at and I go, wow, I'm not always patient. I'm not always kind. I'm not always easy to let things go. And, you know, I, I stand up here and, and these words come out of my mouth and I think, man, some people think, oh, I probably shouldn't tell everybody that you're a scoundrel and really bad. Hey, if I'm bad, you probably are too. You know what? Let's stop embracing our brokenness and figure out how to fix it. Yeah? I mean, I, I see, I, I do the Instagram and social media and I see these things, you know, like I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. And, you know, I, I flip tables and I lay hands and I do this and I do that. And I, and I think, man, like, it, it's silly and it's funny, but like I look at it and I'm like, we embrace our brokenness. We hear it, we listen, we see it, and we go, well, you know what? It's just kind of a part of who I am. I don't have to worry about it. But those verses that we looked at in Galatians said, if you could just figure out how to give that over and get rid of it, you can have this abundant life that's filled with joy that just has holiness permeating out of you. But our brokenness is way better. I don't know. It's not. It's not. Which leads to the last point of this. Do. Hear. Listen. See. Look. What's going on? And do. Do it. There's three steps to this that I think. And the first is going to be this idea of repentance. It's easy to hear. It's easy to see. It's easy to say, well, this needs to get fixed and this is different. The next step is saying, am I going to take the steps to fix it? 
I'm going to take a, a page out of Pastor John's book, and this is actually one of Pastor John's books, so it's kind of like punny in a way. Um, but this is what the uh, Christian living, and this is from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says, <clears throat> Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and comprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it to God with full purpose of endeavor after new obedience. And this is when I thought about it, and I thought about embracing our brokenness. This, has, this, this is not embracing brokenness at all. This is looking at our sin and go, I am, I'm grieved by this. Like this, this, this tears at me. This destroys who I am. Like this, this should stir up this emotional response that says, God, do, please, whatever it takes, take this, fix it, change me. A new purpose, a new obedience. This is this mindset of repentance to say, yeah, you know what? It's just kind of who I am. Deal with it. To, you know what, God? This is not acceptable to you. Deal with it, please. Change me. Let me understand this new life. Let me understand this, this new, this new life. I was reading, uh, in a book called The Radical Cross, which is, uh, a bunch of, it's a collection of writings from Tozer, and this is something he said in it that again, made me just kind of stop and think, wow. It says, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And, uh, if the Christian is supposed to say, if, if the Christian is on the throne till he, sorry, the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is, uh, this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us. No dethronement, no dying. We remain king with the little kingdom of man's soul and wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of Caesar, but we doom ourselves to shadows and to weakness and spiritual sterility. And when I read this and I looked at that, that paraphrase of Galatians 5, and I thought tinsel crowns, like prouding around, like we're something special, like I'm something special. And I walk through these doors and I talk to my students and I go home and I take my crown off and I'm just still disgusting and dirty and stuck. We have to get out of our own way. This is what repentance is. This is that turning and changing our mindset. This is totally changing our direction. This is seeing where we're going, stopping and going, this is bad. This is right. I'm going to go this way. If we would all do that, if we were driving down the road and there were warning signs that kept popping up, the bridge is out, the bridge is out, stop now, the bridge is out, hey, the bridge is out, by the way, the bridge is out, eh, I'm just going to keep driving. What would we do? We'd stop, we'd turn around, and we would leave that direction, right? It's pretty basic, but not when it comes to our spiritual life. Why? Because we don't want to die. Dying is painful. It hurts. And in order to step off of our throne and to step on the cross, it requires us to self-sacrifice. 
It requires us to give up some things. It requires us to look at our lives, to go through those measuring sticks, to say, hey, where's my love? Where's my joy? Am I stuck on this? What determines, what defines my life? How many of those things in Galatians define your life? Is it the first half? Is it the second half? I don't know. I don't know all of you. I know for me, sometimes it comes and goes. Sometimes I'm doing really good with the love, joy, peace thing. Sometimes I do really well with the uh, chasing after empty things and having this tinsel crown. Why? Because we kind of start focusing on, hey, I think I made it. It's a continual process. Continual, continual. And here's what happens. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus gives this talk about uh, 12 verse 43 it says now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it then it says I will return to my house from which I came and when it comes it finds it unoccupied swept and put in order then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there and the last day of the man became worse than the first this is the way it will also be with this evil generation we need to rebuild how many of you watch like the HGTV stuff? Yeah, I, it's not my thing, but my wife likes it. So my kids really like it too. They really like Chip and Joanna, right? Fixer Upper, those cute couple from Waco, Texas. They're pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's tolerable. Like I can handle it. So, uh, but they watch it a lot, right? And I, I'm always amazed at the final transformation. I am. It's just, it's mind blowing the stuff they do. These beautiful, like, ceilings and ornaments and appliances and things that I'm like, I would have never thought to put this in a house, but here it is. And then you look at how it starts. And I watched one recently where, um, I don't know, I don't know if you're up to date on your fixer upper, uh, but there was a young couple in Texas, because they're all in Texas. Duh, it's in Texas. Uh, but they inherited Papa's house. And they went in and they uh, had this house and this massive land and they wanted to redo this house. And nobody lived in it since like 1980. And they walked through it and it was just, I'm like, how, there's no possible way. They're going to have to tear this thing down and rebuild. And essentially that's what they did. They had to strip it down to the foundation. They had to rebuild the walls. They had to redo this. They redid everything. And in the end, there's this beautiful, massive house with these wide-open floor plans and beautiful countertops and this big, beautiful back patio with this like trellis thing that came out that looked like it was full. I mean, it was beautiful. It was amazing. Now, what would have happened if they tried to put all that stuff in there without rebuilding? It would have fallen right in. And that's what we do. And that's what Jesus said. We see things in our lives, we dig it out, we kick it out, we get rid of it, but we don't rebuild. We don't, we don't redo the foundation, we don't fix the walls, we don't fix the cracks, we don't fix the holes in the roof, we just leave it the way it is and everything comes back in. So here's some things that we can rebuild with. I jumped ahead a little bit. Scripture reading. Scripture reading is important. How? Because it's the way God communicates to us. But we knew that, right? Everybody knows that? Prayer. Are we rebuilding with prayer? Not just, Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you, God, for, you know, being awesome. That's good stuff. But what are we praying about for ourselves? 
How are we rebuilding our families? How are we building foundations of prayer into our families? You know, my kids understand the importance of prayer, even though they don't understand totally this whole communicating with God. And it's fun to hear them pray sometimes. They go off on these like 10-minute tangents. And I'm like, do I stop them? So I'll politely like, okay, I think it's time to wrap it up. They're like, God, thank you for the cat. And sorry that she spit her hairball up. And I'm like, I don't know that Jesus wants to maybe, I don't know. But they understand the importance of prayer, and I want that to continue in their lives. But I don't always mirror that prayer. Church involvement. We're here, but are we here? Uh, we're here, but who's, who's, who's leaning in? Who's buying in? Who's helping? Who's getting involved in ministry? We all play a very important part, not just in the church here, but in the, the whole body of Christ. We're ears, we're eyes, we're hearts, we're little toes, we're pinky nails. We all have different abilities and talents, and what are we using them? That's how we rebuild. Find your talent. Get it to work. Do something with it. There's the the accountability word. Rebuilding with accountability is probably one of the most important things you can do as a believer. Especially if you're struggling with something. Find someone who's overcome it. Find someone who's going to lift you up in prayer. Find someone who's not going to judge you. That's a tough one. We were riding into our appointment on whatever day it was. I guess two, Wednesday? I don't know. What, someday this week. Wednesday. Wednesday. Thank you. She knows more than I do. Um, no, we drove in on Wednesday. and it's like I saw my, my wife showed me this picture. It's like between Christmas and New Year's. I have no idea what day it is. I'm just glad I made it here on time. Like, I don't know what's going on. But she, we were listening to the, the radio coming in, and um, we were talking about accountability, and we were talking about um, why it's hard sometimes to develop an accountability partner. And one of the things that the radio was talking about, the guy was talking, he was preaching, and he was, uh, I didn't hear the whole sermon, I just heard the part. He was preaching, and he was talking about the, 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 the publican and the guy, and he's praying out, and the one guy's like, God, be merciful to me. And the other guy's like, ah, at least I'm not like this guy. And she stopped and she went, you know, I may not pray that prayer out loud, but I pray it here. Why is it fine? Why is it hard to find an accountability partner? Because who's going to judge me for what I struggle with? Who wants to hear that I didn't read my Bible this week? Who wants to hear that I yell at my kids? Who wants to hear that I struggle with A, B, C, and D? Who wants to open their closet and say, do you want to take a peek? Do you want to help me overcome this? Do you want to be a part of this? Do you want to kind of dig into the filthiness? I think Ben said this morning, we've got to press our face in. Find accountability. There's two evidences of rebuilding and doing, and those are simple. Understanding who God is and knowing God. And then having an ability and a desire to understand His Word. That's our relationship. Knowing who God is, believing who God is, seeing the power that He has to build into our lives and to take that thirst, to thirst after Him, to hunger after Him, and and take what we learn and apply it. And remaining is the last thing. So we have here, see, and do, yes. You're right. 
That is huge. And it's a difficult thing to do. Because, again, you don't want to be judged. You don't know who can handle it. You don't know who you can trust. But there are people on staff that can help you with that. That's, that's, our, that's our harmony plug. And Derek will tell you the same thing. There are people here that will help you. If you're stuck, you don't know where to go, you don't know who to talk to, you don't know who to turn to, you can schedule an appointment. If it's with your kids, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to your kids. I don't care. Derek has time to talk. He counsels. Pastor does the same thing. We've talked about it. And you've heard Pastor say in his previous church, freedom, liberty, deliverance from these things. Hey, that's real stuff. That's, that's, not, that's not like, a, oh, it could happen. No, it does happen. It can happen here. First John chapter 1, and this is where I'm going to close. Verse 5 through 7 says, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Hey, repent, rebuild, remain. Stay in the light. Pastor talked about light before Christmas. We talked about light at Christmas. Derek alluded to light when he preached. I mean, there's a theme here. Do you want change? Do you want to have this new mind? Do you want to have this newness of creature? We say that we're new in Christ. Maybe we should start acting like it. The light can change us if we stay in it, if we walk in the light, if we let it guide, if we learn it. And then, hey, we got to love it. We love ourselves more than we love God. Why is it difficult to press in? Why is it difficult to change? Why is it difficult to overcome all the the things that are up on the board? Because we're we're more in love with ourselves. So my challenge is as we head into 2018 and we look at change and we figure out, hey, how are we changing as a church? What comes next? Why don't we stop? Why don't we look in our mirror and say, okay, God, I'm listening. Your servant is listening, God. What are you showing me? What do I need to change? And then do it. Because that's what James says at the end. It's not just about hearing. Don't be foolish. Don't think, well, I figured it out. It's hearing it, it's seeing it, and it's doing it. You want to be an, an effectual part of the church? Not just here at Harmony, but the whole body of Christ? Change. Do something. Be different. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We ask you to uh, uh, help us as we look into the mirror and just try to figure out who it is, Lord, that you want us to become. Lord, that we would um, desire to overcome this person. Lord, that we would not just hear your word, but we would apply it to our lives. That we would go through and, and see what it is that you're pressing on us to change. They don't have to be groundbreaking changes overnight. But Lord, give us the desire to change one little thing each day one attitude, one behavior, one new behavior, changing a hat, whatever it is. Lord, help us to change. We ask these things in your name. Amen.